What would you do with your life if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed, what would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of global Swedish design and inspiration brand Dream Life and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people like you to chase your own dream life, whatever that means for you. Many years ago, I wrote down a dream on paper that would one day bring Swedish design to the world and create beautiful, inspiring and meaningful products that would bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to leverage everything I've learned to help you dream big and to create a global movement to inspire 101 million people to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode will dive deep into the power of dreaming and share real insights and practical ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Hi there and welcome back to another episode. Today I have another super inspiring guest and somehow I just came across his book, The 12-Hour Walk, which is just released and as I love walking, the title sparked my interest and I bought the book, read it and loved it. Colin O'Brady is a 10-time world record-breaking explorer, New York Times best-selling author and entrepreneur. He's a world-renowned expert on mindset who has worked with the biggest brands and the brightest minds, including Nike, Google, Amazon, JP Morgan, Harvard, and Yale. From overcoming a severe burn injury that left him nearly unable to walk to becoming the first person to cross Antarctica solo, unsupported, and fully human-powered rowing a boat across the treacherous Drake Passage and summiting Mount Everest twice. Colin knows firsthand how to harness the power of the mind. Colin created the 12-hour walk for you so you can overcome your limiting beliefs and cultivate a possible mindset that will empower you to step into your best life. In this episode, we'll be talking about the 12-hour walk and how you can do it too. So let's get right into it. Hi, Colin, and welcome to my podcast. I am so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you. Before we start, I got a question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, did you have a dream as a child, something you wanted to do or become? Yeah, you know, my uh, childhood dream, which I've actually been able to play out, which is uh, I always dreamed of climbing Mount Everest. That was always a huge goal uh, of mine. Never knew how I was going to get there, but uh, I've been fortunate to stand on top of that mountain twice now. Wow, amazing. Your journey has, it's been so interesting to read. I didn't know much about you until I came across your second book, which we'll be talking about today. But before we get into that, I would love for you to share a little bit about your journey, how you got started and where you ended up where you are today. Yeah, I'm Colin O'Brady. I'm um, originally from the Pacific Northwest part of the United States. I uh, now sit here with 10 world records uh, in the world of adventure. So I was the first person in history to cross Antarctica solo 
uh, and unsupported. Uh, first person to row a boat across Drake Passage, so rode a little rowboat from the southern tip of South America to Antarctica. Several mountaineering records, climbing the Seven Summits and the Explorers Grand Slam, faster than anyone that's Everest, Denali, Kilimanjaro, North Pole, South Pole, etc. Uh, and then in addition to that, you know, entrepreneur, passionate, liver of life, have a nonprofit, do a bunch of stuff in Hollywood and film and production and. Uh, written a couple New York Times are selling books and things of that nature. What do you think actually drive you to do all these things? Because I I love adventure, but not that kind of adventure. I would never even contemplating climbing Mount Everest. So what is what do you think is that drive that you have? On one hand, I think I'm very curious about pushing the edges uh, of human potential. And in a lot of ways, that's come from athletic background, but also has come from you know, some significant setbacks that I've had um, in my life. Um, you know, I was severely burned in a fire at one point in my life and was told I would never walk again normally. And uh, there's more details to that story, but a long road of recovery um, led me to get over that and kind of find out more what I was capable for. I've set all of my world records on the other side of that that accident. So kind of learning and growing along the way. But my other why is you know, not just pursuing this for my own sort of glory or my own accolades. I've learned so much from these experiences, from these expeditions, from other elements of my life. You know, I've learned so much from other people's stories, right? I've been inspired by so many people throughout my life. And so I passionately love to share my stories, right? write books, etc. Because I believe we can all have such a positive impact on each other. And I'm hoping to do my little part to contribute um, to that to have a ripple effect of positivity uh, of sharing of learning of inspiration for others to really unlock their own wildest dreams and, and love what I like to say my childhood dream was to climb Mount Everest. But what's your dream? What's your Everest? I believe we can all reach our own, uh, the summits of our own Mount Everest, our own mountaintops that we desire to get to. Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I've read lots about you and I, I read your books. And um, one thing that was really inspiring for me to see, I'm, I'm also an entrepreneur and um, I have children and my kids basically has been brought up being entrepreneurs. And I now have a 11-year-old and a 14-year-old. But it was so inspiring to hear that you got so inspired and influential by your parents who, who were big dreamers and entrepreneurs. So do you want to share a little bit bit about how that was to grow up with because sometimes I'm wondering if I'm sharing too much and if they're ready for all the you know we, we had lots of we had lots of success but also lots of down so I'm sure every family has that who grows up in a, an entrepreneurial spirit yeah you know my parents were quite young when they had me um, they were in their early 20s um, and I'm their youngest um, so uh, they had kids young um, I was actually born on a, a hippie commune with them playing Bob Marley uh, on repeat while I was born on a futon and a bunch of friends were out hanging out watching the birth. Uh, so the story goes anyways. Some of an untraditional uh, upbringing. But my parents were big dreamers. And I certainly think that I am where I am in my life um, because of their inspiration, the, because of them daring me to dream, but also um, by not just saying those words, but by acting those out. I share a little bit of this story in The 12-Hour Walk, my newest book. One of the biggest limiting beliefs that I have found people, you know, I ask people, you know, what's standing in the way of your best self? What's standing in the way of you living your best life? And people, you know, come up with a series of things. But one of the most common ones is I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money. Um, it holds a lot of people back. And it sort of ends there. Like, I don't have enough money, nor will I ever. 
you know, for whatever reason. Um, in the book itself, I go a little bit more into this mindset shift of scarcity of abundance of basically creating your own luck, not like a get rich quick scheme, but a mindset, a mentality about how you can actually conjure uh, abundance and take action towards that. If that's your goal, I mean, it doesn't have to be your goal, but there's certainly a lot of people that feel that held back by financial resources. You know, my parents didn't have it all figured out, but they were willing to dare to dream big. They worked in the natural foods health industry for many years, you know, originally as store clerks and then worked their way up in the grocery store uh, industry to eventually they said, you know what, we know how to do this and we think we can do this well. We want to open our own store. And so they cobbled together their life savings um, when I was a young teenager. And I remember they, you know, put on a lease on a on a space um, all their money and time into it. And we're like, we're going to open a grocery store here. And one day we're going to maybe open a second or a third or a fourth. There was no obvious roadmap of how they were going to get there. We're like, we're just going to try this. But they believed in it. They really, really believed in it because not only did they believe in the business, but they believe in the mission behind the business. They had a pretty direct why. So anyways, my high school dinner table, uh, you know, age 13, 14, 15, 16, was watching my parents. They kind of included this because, you know, from the entrepreneurial life, it's like you're doing it. It's like your whole life, right? It's like a round the clock thing sometimes. And so instead of being like, you know, mom and dad are at work clocking in, it was sort of like, oh, we're going to be, you know, it's dinner time with family, but let's also talk about the sales forecast or how this went today or that or whatever. And so I was just surrounded by this environment. Now, what's interesting is they had plenty of ups and downs, um, ultimately had a decent level of financial success, but that financial success all came long after I was out of the house. So my upbringing was a very lower income. We didn't have a lot of money and resources, but what it lacked in resources, it made up for in observing firsthand my parents saying, we have this dream. We believe in this. We're going to work on this every single day until we get it right. And ultimately they did. And so I think so much of that rubbed off on me, not only, you know, in my entrepreneurial pursuits, but only in just my vision for my life of being able to ask myself, what do I care about? What do I want to do? What do I want to pursue? And even if I don't know how I'm going to get there, when I said I want to climb Everest, I never climbed big mountains before, right? And not only did I not have that, I didn't have the money to go do something like that, but it was still wasn't like, but believe in that goal. I talk about this concept in a book of the, called The Possible Mindset. I define that as an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. And I truly do believe that there are limitless possibilities in all of our lives, depending on how we frame our mind around the things we want to achieve and experience. Mm, I love that. I love that. We have always been very open with our business at home. And Axel, my 14-year-old, he was just a few years old and he was sitting in the back seat and I was driving him to Montessori. And he asked me, how does margin works kind of out of the blue? And I was just like, oh, you you know, they pick up so many things that you don't, you know, working out what margin you're going to make on a product is probably not the most exciting uh, as a, you know, four or five-year-old. And it's been fascinating. And just recently, like both our kids have started their own businesses and they're just young, but it's amazing now what you can do actually so quickly. While I think about a lot of things that I want to do, um, they just take action because the way of doing business now is so much easier compared to, you know, what it was perhaps when we started. So it's really fascinating. And, and I think for anyone listening, it's it, it's really just up to you. There's just so much possibility out there and so much easier compared to what it was when your parents did it, perhaps. Yeah, no, absolutely. There is uh, so many more opportunities and on-ramps. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your 12-hour walk book. So we don't know each other, but I'm a big dreamer and I absolutely love walking. So when I, when that came
came in front of me, I was just like, I love reading about people who love working. And I got so excited because as most people in the world had a really challenging time over COVID and I'm in retail and um, we lost our business over COVID. So it was a really challenging time. So I just spent all my days walking. I did all my meetings on foot. I know that that's not what you promote uh, in your um, 12-hour book, but that just really helped me so much. So tell me what made you actually write the book in the first place? Yeah. So my first book, which is called The Impossible First, was really about my Antarctic, solo Antarctic crossing. Uh, It's a memoir about that crossing, the historic crossing as, you know, it goes back into through my childhood and various things. It's a memoir. For my second book, that just came out, I really wanted to write a book that was exciting and adventure driven and story driven, um, because I love writing like that. So it's entertaining, but also in a way that doesn't necessarily paint me as the hero of the story. I love to say, you the reader, the person reading the book or listening to it on audiobook, you are the hero of this story. You know, this is really a book for you not just as a passive observer, but to really, you know, draw people in um, to taking action in their own lives. So the 12 hours itself originally came from when I was crossing Antarctica solo, I was literally pulling a, you know, 160 kilogram sled behind me with all my food and supplies. I was alone for 54 days, trekking over a 1000 miles to get to the other side to become the first in history to do so. And I literally made it to the other side just barely on my last bite of food, quite literally, I uh, was was running very low on food food and supplies. I had lost a ton of weight. My body was breaking down. I had frostbite on my face. I hips were sticking out. You know, it was, it was in rough shape. But interestingly enough, in 12 hours of my normal day of pulling the sled, those 12 hour days, I actually started growing all of this clarity in my mind, in my spirit. Despite the physical breakdown of my body, my mind got sharper and more clear than it had ever been in my life. And I end up writing the last chapter of my first book, The Impossible First, it, the, the chapter is not, and then I did it, I'm awesome. You know, that's not the thesis or the moral of the story. The last chapter of that book is called Infinite Love, because what I ended up feeling connected to was family and purpose and fulfillment and empathy and love. Um, and it was beautiful. It was a really beautiful tapped in place that I found in my mind, body and spirit. And I thought when I got back from Antarctica several years ago, I was like, oh, I can take this lesson with me forever. Now, don't get me wrong. I have certainly kept many of those lessons with me, of course, but I'm not impervious to having some down days or down months or down weeks in my own mind, mind and body. And you mentioned COVID. COVID certainly was that for me, right? I had a big expedition, international expedition planned. I had, so I was on my book tour. My book had just reached the New York Times bestseller status. It was doing great. I was on book tour and COVID happened, right? And, you know, and the world shut down. Now, I don't pretend that my book tour or my expedition being canceled was the worst of the world's problems, right? There were huge problems, you know, people getting sick, people dying, borders closing, people being locked in their homes and houses. And I know it was a little bit different in Australia and different parts of the world, but where I was, we were, you know, locked down, couldn't really go anywhere, um, but we could be outside walking. And so I, at one point during the COVID lockdown, I found myself in a pretty dark headspace, you know, anxious, fearful, afraid, nervous, uh, which is not my normal state of being so much so that my wife looked over at me at one point, she goes, you know, you haven't changed out of your pajamas in uh, three days, you just been sitting on the couch, you know, she says doom scrolling the news, like, you know, just looking at every headline, like it's getting worse and worse and worse, you know, like just like uh, anxiety building up inside of my body. And I said, you're right, I got to do something, you know, try to shake this off. And so I thought back to when was the last time I felt fully connected, fully in my body, mind, spirit, etc, lit up. 
And I realized it was walking in Antarctica. So I said to her, I said, look, I'm going to be gone all day tomorrow. I'm going to go for a long walk, maybe even 12 hours. Like I, uh, you know, used to my Antarctica crossing. And she kind of just looks at me and smiles. She's like, all right. And so I'll be home around dinner time. She said, great. So I walk out my front door about 20 minutes into this walk. My phone buzzes in my pocket. You know, a buddy of mine's texting me. So I pull the phone out of my pocket and I'm about to text him back. And I'm like, wait, like, what, what am I doing here? Like, I don't I need to like text my friend back right now. Like I've been on my phone enough. So I just think, you know what? I don't need my phone either. So I put my phone on airplane mode and continue walking for 12 hours. And now I take breaks, I rest, but I continue and I stay in the stillness the whole time. No music, no podcasts, just me alone in my thoughts. And as I get back to the front door, I've tapped back into this connectedness, this place in my mind where I can find bliss and happiness and inner peace. And I walk back in the front door. My wife says to me immediately, she looks at me and she goes, you're back. And I said, yeah, I told you I come back around dinner. And she looks back at me. She goes, no, no, you're back. Mm. Like you're back. You know, she could see it in my spirit. And she was right, 100%. Now, I will say, it's not like in that moment, I was like, wow, the world needs this. I should write a book about this and share this 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 far and wide. I thought to myself, you know, I'm the guy who walked across Antarctica by himself. So great, I can tap back into this. I'm so grateful that I have this within my own self. What I didn't quite realize in the moment, what I realize now is that during the COVID lockdown, of course, I had tons of friends, family members, colleagues, et cetera, who were going through difficult times, right? Who were just also stuck in their mind a little bit. And so I just started telling people, hey, I... I did this thing, this 12-hour walk. I took a whole day. I spent the whole day outside alone with myself, and it really shifted everything for me. And before I knew it, dozens of friends, family members, colleagues took me up on this. And this is people in all different walks of life, young, old, um, fit, not so fit, people from all different circumstances, you know. And I said to them, take as many breaks as you want. This isn't a race. You know, it doesn't matter if you go for one mile or 50 miles. Like, you know, take, 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 take this as exactly where you're at today. And every single person, including my 77-year-old mother-in-law, her 12-hour walk was walking one time around her block, then sitting in silence on her front porch and then walking another time around her block. People of all different, different circumstances have done this. But the one universal thing is every single person I have known to come back from the 12-hour walk comes back renewed, refreshed, creatively lit up, feeling more connected to self and spirit. And so I thought, wow, there's something to this. And so it's a long-winded way of saying, you know, I know we'll talk about more of the details of the book, but the book, um, it's edge of your seat storytelling. It's about over how we can shift our mindset and overcoming a series of common limiting beliefs that hold us back. But at its true core, at its true core, it's beyond the page. It's a call to action. It's an invitation for people to invest one day, as the subtitle says, conquer their minds and unlock their best life. By walking out their front door, putting their phone on airplane mode, spending 12 hours in a, basically a walking meditation of sorts. And the book guides you through all the ways that that can really make a fundamental shift in just one day. And my goal is to inspire 10 million people to take the 12-hour walk. At this point, on every day, all corners of the planet, people are doing this walk. There's thousands and thousands of people already signed up and doing it. And the book's only been out a couple of weeks. And it's been amazing to see the positive benefits that it's having far and wide. Mm. It's so inspiring. I was actually, I have a, a virtual book club and um, every Monday night I go live and the first thing I was talking about was your new book. I asked them if they had some questions and one of the questions actually was, oh, I don't know if I can go alone with myself for 12 hours with my thoughts and um, all the things that I'm going through. So are there some specific tips or in terms of how you think going back to the present or would you just take it as it comes? 
Yeah, no. So the, of course, the book itself facilitates a, a dialogue around a lot of these questions, as well as the 12hourwalk.com website um, has a number of uh, specific FAQs because people, of course, are, well, where do I go to the bathroom and how do I eat and how do I drink? So don't don't worry. We answer all those, you know, kind of really obvious questions for you, but they're important questions um, for sure. Just the kind of the, the nuts and the bolts, the how to. But I think the question you asked is a little bit deeper, which is like, you know, how do we stay alone with our thoughts? And the truth of the matter is, is it's uncomfortable for most people. I've asked dozens, you know, more more than dozens, the hundreds of people, this question, which is, you know, what's the longest you've spent in silence by yourself? Um, And I I frame that around, I give you some parameters. Okay, so sleeping doesn't count. Anytime there's somebody else in the room with you, it doesn't count. Every time you listen, you know, watching TV or you put music on, whatever, the clock resets. Every time you look at your phone, the clock resets. You know, what's the longest? And the average answer is like, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe. I mean, it's, you know, that that's a really, you know, some people maybe have a deep spiritual meditation practice, oh, an hour here, two hours there, you know, something like that. It's very seldom that I meet someone who said they've done it for 12 days or a number of days or anything like that. Which is to say we're in a we're in a time when we have technology at our fingertips. We're connected. We can constantly distract ourselves. We can constantly reach for our social media and get that dopamine hit. And don't get me wrong, I'm active on social media. I do all these things. I love that we can be having this conversation right now between us via technology. So it's not to vilify technology, but it's to say there is a time and a place to take that break. But to your friend's comment, which is, oh my God, I don't know if I could spend that much time alone in my thoughts. Here's the thing. This is going to be uncomfortable at times. Your feet might get tired also if you're on your feet for 12 hours, you know, like there's going to be some discomfort. But growth happens outside of the comfort zone. I think about life sort of on this spectrum of one to 10, you know, one being our lowest low moments, the hardships, the heartbreak, the challenges, you know, we know these really heart wrenching moments in our life and 10 being these peak moments, these high highs, this Maybe, you know, for me, the moment I achieved some of the success I've achieved, but more importantly, you know, falling in love, you know, the day your first child is born, things like this, there's a peak beautiful moments. What I realize is we all want the tens, right? We want the tens desperately, but we don't want the ones. I said, give me all the tens, but don't, don't give me the ones. But what I've realized when I really think about my tens, when I think about my tens, I realize that most of my tens have come because of my ones, on the back of ones, not in spite of my ones, but because actually experiencing some challenge, some discomfort from being able to willing to take that risk. And so I realized that so often many people, um, and I'm not, not trying to be harsh on your friend, but maybe people are stuck in what I call the zone of comfortable complacency, this sort of comfort zone. I call it the zone between four and six, where it's like, you go to work, you don't love your job, you don't hate your job, it's fine, but it's like a five every day, five, 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 five. Or even in a long-term relationship, and it's not toxic, it's not abuse, it's not like terrible, but it's just like fine, you're cohabitating. It's just like five, 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 five. Now, I'm not saying you should never be in this comfort zone, but an entire life or an entire year made up just of being in fours, fives, and sixes, that's not the fullness of life. And most people are there because they're so afraid of change. They're so afraid of taking a little bit discomfort into their life. But when you take when you take out the, the ones and twos because you're hedging against them, you also take off the board the nines and the tens. And so this 12-hour walk is intentionally supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit challenging. And I'll tell you what, 
many people in hour one, hour two, hour three start asking themselves, why am I doing this? I'm alone in my thoughts. This is super uncomfortable. Or in hour five or hour six, their feet get tired, their legs get tired, and they go, oh, I don't really like this feeling in my body. But guess what? Every single person that I have known to get back to their front door at the end of 12 hours goes, oh my God, I'm so glad I battled through that clutter in my mind, hour one, hour two, hour three. I found my pendulum swung back from the sensation of a two or a three all the way back to a seven, an eight, a nine, a 10. Same with the physical sensation. It's physically challenging, but so fulfilling to complete it. Oh, I did that. No one can ever take that away from me. I'm so proud of myself. And so it's really the 12-hour the walk is a somatic, an experience to be not just read on the, on the page of a book, but to be felt in your own mind and body. And therefore, the lesson imprints so much deeper. I love it. I, I can't wait to do it. I'm actually going to do it on the 10th of September. So for anyone who's listening, that's the day where you do the global invitation to do it alone together, which I'm super excited about. So hopefully I'll get some of the community to, to join me. But what do we actually do when we start feeling uncomfortable? So let's just say that we're in hour five or six. I'm assuming that's when you start feeling a bit tired physically. Like, Have you got some tips to kind of push through that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just double back. You did mention September 10th, which is amazing. So the walk itself can be done any single day. There's quite literally people around the world doing it every single day of the week. You can sign up. It's entirely free to sign up 12hourwalk.com. But by committing to a date, by picking a date, I become your accountability partner. I send you a few emails just to encourage you along the way when you pick that date and encourage you all the way to the finish line of your 12 hour walk, this life changing moment. But you mentioned September 10th, and I'm so glad you'll be joining on September 10th. I I will be walking on September 10th. There's thousands of people around the world who are signing up for that. It's kind of like a global walk day. So if that day fits in your schedule, please join us. Um, join Christina and I and many others for doing the walk on that exact day. If it doesn't work, like I said, it's evergreen. The 12-hour walk can be done any day. But there is something about the fun extra accountability of being able to do this walk, as you say, alone but together. It's still alone. It's still from your front door. But the knowledge that we'll be doing this and in this together is amazing. So your question is, you know, what happens or how do we, how do we uh, feel into sort of this discomfort in hour five or hour six? It's different for every single person. It's interesting. Some people are actually in their most uncomfortable in the first hour because they're so not used to the stillness in their mind and they get through that. Some people, of course, the physical sensations of getting tired. We'll talk about the physical for a second. It literally does not matter how far you go. This is not a race. Yes, I'm asking you to move your body when you can. So if you can move your body and you keep putting one foot in front of the other, there's a lot to be gained by doing this. But, you know, my 77-year-old mother-in-law doing one lap around her block and then sitting on her front porch in stillness and silence compared to, you know, my ultra marathoner friend who did, I don't know, 45 or 50 miles or something like that in the 12 hours, neither one of those people are doing it better than the other one. As long as you're engaging the stillness, as long as you're engaging the silence and understanding there will become some discomfort from that wherever you're at, that is the power of that. That's the power to keep moving forward. That's the power that you'll gain from the end of this walk when you get to the other side of it. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm really excited about, about it. So thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about developing a possible mindset. Um, I love all your tips in the book, but can you give our listeners just some ideas? Because this will be a really good thing to think about when you actually go for that walk. Yeah, absolutely. So the book itself is framed around this concept that I call a possible mindset. So I, I frame it as, I define that as an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. 
I believe that we actually all live with a possible mindset inside of us. And I know that because, you know, after climbing all these mountains and rowing a boat across Drake Passage and going, you know, across Antarctica and all these things, I have spent a lot of time with the nonprofit work that I do speaking to kids around goal setting, around aspirational goal setting, dreaming and achieving these things. And I ask these kids these questions in these gymnasiums, you know, young kids, eight, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, you know, what, what's your dream? What's your Everest? And I get all the hands in the room pop up in the air, every single one of them. Oh, Colin, my Mount Everest is to be the first person in my family to graduate from college. Or my Mount Everest is to make sure snow leopards are off the endangered species. You know, whatever. Like you hear kids, right? But I realize as we get older, high school kids and then to university and, and you know, into job and middle age, fewer and fewer hands go up in each one of the rooms I ask that question for. Because people give up on their dreams. They stop believing in limitless possibilities. And so the book and the walk itself is actually to teach this concept of a possible mindset, to overcome a series of limiting beliefs that hold us back, limiting beliefs like, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. What if I fail? What if people criticize me? I don't have what it takes. I hate being uncomfortable. But more so, what I, what I love about this idea of a possible mindset, and I know this from experience, is... I'm actually not teaching you something you don't already know. What I mean by that is you were born with a possible mindset. We were all born with a possible mindset. When we arrived here on this planet, we actually were born believing in limitless possibilities. Unfortunately, the inevitable setbacks and challenges of life sometimes box us in to not being able to believe in ourselves anymore. You know, I share a number of stories about how my mom got me through this deep hardship of being burned in a fire and told I'd never walk again normally. I, I tell stories of, of, of different elements in my life where the, the book is certainly not a highlight reel of my life. And anything, anything, it's a bunch of vulnerable stories of where I failed or I got set back or things didn't go my own way. But continuing to believe in those limit, limitless possibilities, that perseverance, that strength that we all, we all fundamentally have inside of us. I believe that we all have reservoirs of untapped potential to achieve extraordinary things, fulfillment in our life. But it really does start with what I call the most important muscle any of us has, which is the six inches between our ears, our minds. Hmm. My big Everest is to inspire 101 million people to write down three dreams and then go and chase them because I've started my journey with just writing some dream, really simple dreams down and have continued ever since. And I want to inspire other people to do the same. And it's very interesting when I have people starting doing the course that, that so many people are worrying about how to do it or, or how to get there. But I'm like, as long as you know what you want to do, what really, you know, what is a true dream for you. So not your parents' dreams, not your teacher's dreams or your peers dreams something that's really true for you and then decide on that and then the what can come later and just believe because I have not seen any dreams that's not possible so in your experience because I'm assuming that you learned a lot along the way with um, you know your climbing and all your adventures like how did you how did you actually get that mindset to actually believe that you could do it when you actually didn't really know how or even if you knew you even if you could do it considering you know the dreams that you had felt impossible I love this uh, idea of jump out of the plane and build the parachute on the way down, you know? <laughs> but I think there's a lot to that. I mean, I think your point is 
that there is this inertia, right? That people like, they don't even take the first step because they think, oh, that's too far. You know, I love, like I said, that, that what's your Everest question is great. Cause it's like, fine. If you think it's ridiculous, whatever, but give me one minute of your time and dream without limits. If you could do anything, if you could be anything, if you could feel any way, what would that look like? What would that feel like? Dream without limits. And that's, I think I love your mission, which is like just getting somebody to announce that in their own mind, right? Is so powerful. And then of course it gets to the how, you know, one of my biggest learnings, you know, I'll share a little bit of the story of this burn accident because it was so fundamental in my life, which was I was traveling after college and I got severely burned in a fire. Silly enough, I was jumping a flaming jump rope that I wrapped around my body, lit my body completely on fire to my neck, had to jump into the ocean to extinguish the flames, which saved my life, but not before about 25% of my body was severely burned. And I was in the middle of nowhere, you know, a makeshift kind of hospital. There was a cat running around my bed and across my chest in this sort of makeshift ICU where I under went eight surgeries. And the doctor told me on about the four or fifth day, he walked in as Thai doctor, he looks me in the eyes and he said, I hate to tell you this, Colin, but the way your wounds are healing over the ligaments, you will most likely never walk normally again. And it was devastating news, obviously, um, as a young person. And certainly I was very in my body in that time, you know, an athlete and just my whole identity just evaporated in an instant of stupidity and mistake that I had made. My mother, the incredible woman that she is, she came over to the hospital, you know, sat in this Thai hospital with me for a couple of months as I slowly recovered. And I know now as a mother, as a parent, what this must be like to sit there and watch your kid in this helpless state. I mean, I was crying. I was pleading with the doctors every day for good news. My mom never showed me her own fear or her own anxiety, even though, of course, she had it. She instead wrapped me in this sort of air of positivity, daring me to dream about the future and set a goal. Exactly what you're talking about, right? Like, just dream dream without limits. I didn't really want to play along with her, but eventually she got me to play along. I closed my eyes. I did this visualization and I opened my eyes and she said, what'd you see? And I said, oh, it's going to sound ridiculous, but I saw myself crossing the finish line of a triathlon. And she's like, great. She could have easily said, yeah, I said, set a goal, but look at your legs. Like maybe something more realistic, like swimming, biking, and running might not be the exact next thing for you. But she said, no, that's your goal. And we should start training right now. So she yells over to the Thai doctor. She says, hey, doc, my son's training for a triathlon. She actually gets him to go grab a couple of these 10-pound dumbbell weights. And I have this photograph of myself in the Thai hospital, bandaged from the waist down, literally bandaged from the waist down. And I'm lifting 10-pound dumbbells, saying to the doctor, I'm training for a triathlon right now. And he's looking at me like someone's knocked some sense in this stupid American kid. But the idea was fixed. Not only was the idea fixed, but I had taken the first step you know, as ridiculous as that first step sounds, taking some action toward it. Now, fast forward, you know, it's a long story, but fast forward, you know, I was in that Thai hospital for several months. I got back home and I was still in a wheelchair. I was carried on and off the plane. My mom helped me to learn how to walk again normally in the PT and taking a few steps that in turn a few more steps and a few more steps and eventually could run and jog. And 18 months after being burned in the fire, I signed up for the Chicago triathlon. I raced the triathlon, my first race ever. I finished the race and I hadn't just finished the race, but I had actually won placing first out of nearly 5,000 other participants. And it was a huge turning point in my life, but not because the, the, the moral wasn't, oh, wow, I guess it turns out I'm just an amazing athlete. Like that was not that at all. My mind went back to that Thai hospital wondering what would have happened had my mom not instilled this possible mindset inside of me? What would have happened had my mom not dared me to dream about limitless possibilities? What would have happened had my mom not forced me to look towards the future and set this measurable goal? I know for sure I wouldn't be who I am today. 
who knows if I'd even fully recovered from the injury physically or emotionally, let alone I have now set 10 world records on those legs. All of those world records were set after I was burned in that fire. And so my mother, despite the deep hardship and talking about those ones and the tens, talk about a one, that's a, that's a one, right? But it opened up the doorway to deep learning. And I wouldn't wish that burn accident on my worst enemy, but I'll be honest, I learned a lot from it. And from those experiences, that's allowed me to say, okay, what else can I do? What else seems impossible? What else seems ridiculous? I figured it out last time. Can I figure it out again? Did I just get lucky from having no money and having big dreams of projects that had a ton of financial resources, spent years figuring out how to do that, overcoming that obstacle? You know, being told that it's impossible to walk across Antarctica and somehow figuring out how to do it despite other people having not been able to do it previous to me. And I don't, again, I say this from a place of humility, which is I actually don't think there's something uniquely special about me other than my willingness to try, my willingness to try and fail and continue to try again. After summoning Everest my very first time in 2016, you're up there for just a few minutes. And I look down, you know, my childhood dream was to climb Everest. I'm up there and in the midst of setting my first world record on the something called the Explorer's Grand Slam. And I look down on the summit of Everest and there's a tiny, you know, there's ice and snow and rocks basically. And there's this tiny little rock and I picked it up and I ended up actually putting it in my pocket and I have carried it around with me for years since. I took this tiny pebble from the summit of Mount Everest because my dream was to climb Everest. But when I got up there, the tallest mountain in the world, even the biggest mountain in the world, what is it? It's a bunch of small rocks stacked on top of each other. And it's a great metaphor, at least for me, as how we reach our goals. You set the big goal, but then you start stacking these tiny little rocks, maybe millions of them. To get to the summit of Everest, it was literally millions of steps in my life to get there. But that didn't take away from having the goal. And eventually, if you stack those tiny little rocks, you take those tiny little steps day by day by day by day, they accumulate and they add up to Mount Everest, or in this case, the summit of your dreams. Mm, I absolutely love that story. And I love how your mom was so positive and tried, um, even though she perhaps didn't believe it as well. So thank you for sharing that story. And I love how no step is too small. And I think the most amazing thing, and I think a lot of people until you actually try it, don't believe this, because once you start doing the little small steps and just taking action, you get a little bit of momentum, but also progress is what really gets you excited to continue, I think, don't you think? That's why the small steps and the incremental goals are so important, right? It's like, okay, I want to climb Everest, but you're like, that seems so far away. But you ask yourself like, what well, can I do one thing? Okay, can I like watch a YouTube video about it or go buy a book about it? It's like, you just feel like you're taking one step or can I like, you know, learn, you know, I'm going to need to know knots. Okay, can I learn one knot today, right? It's like, okay, I want to be a doctor. Okay, well, we all know you need to go to school and like university and a whole new series of steps or whatever. And that might seem so far away. So people oftentimes, as you said, quit before they even start, right? But if you can do like, you know what, I'm going to go to the library and check out that one book to read the one thing. And like all of a sudden you have a little more knowledge, a little more understanding. It's like I said, those rocks, those, those incremental wins along the way fuels the next little win, the next little win, the next little win. And eventually you get all the way there. Yeah, I love that. There's a quote that I, I share all the time on this podcast, and it's a Sig Ziglar quote, which is, you don't have to be great to start, 
but you have to start to be great. And I think so many of us, and I think, you know, especially today where you often see the result in, you know, social media or on on the internet, you actually see people achieving things. You don't see all the background, like you don't see the tennis players failing and failing and training and training, um, you know, until they do the, you know, the grand slam. It's really just about starting and, um, and then continue. And eventually, like if you decide on that and you work, it might, you know, might take longer than you think. But if you work on your dream every single day, without doubt, you'll end up there. <laughs> um, it might be some side turns, there might be some failures along the way. And um, I love Ariana Huffington says, failure um, is not the opposite of success. It's a stepping stone to success. So not letting failure stop us. Well, I say, it in the, I say it in the book too, I say failure plus perseverance equals success. It's actually part of the equation to success is, is failure. And I love the way Huffington says that as well. And, and that's why the, you know, the 12 hour walk, you know, the walk itself is this gift for people to unlock that inside of themselves. But through the writing of the book, the easiest thing in the world for me to do would be to write a highlight reel of all my 10 world records. And this is me achieving these things or whatever, but like, what's the point of that? Like, that's just like, that's the tip of the iceberg of the experience and the experience and the lessons learned from it. And that's why the book is very vulnerable uh, and entertaining as well, I think for the reader, but it's like, it's me failing. It's me trying stuff. It's me getting set back. It's me alone in my thoughts. It's me battling with the same limiting beliefs that every single person on this planet that we are all battling with at times, right? It's so easy as, as you pointed out to, to watch a movie or, you know, some sports documentary, like the person doing the thing and, you know, being successful at it. And you're like, because no one had the camera on them for the however many years before that, that they were grinding in obscurity, believing in themselves, the alarm going off early in the morning and hitting that training session and working on it or writing the book or whatever, you know, that dream or that goal is like, we all so often only see, as you said, the, the social media, you know, the final product version. What about all the outtakes? What about all the challenges? That's where the real essence of the life is. Mm, absolutely. In your book, you talk about measuring our days, which I absolutely love. Can you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I've come to think about our life a little bit in seeking discomfort and challenge of sort of on the scale of one to 10, you know, one being our, our low, low moments, you know, the heartbreaks, the the challenges that burn accident for me and 10 being our high highs, right? These moments of pure satisfaction, pure joy, achievement. But more importantly, you know, the day your first child is born, falling in love, right? These peak moments in life. And everyone wants those tens. You know, who doesn't want to fall in love or have these peak amazing moments of life? Everyone wants that, right? But we, we, do, we, we so badly don't want the ones. We don't want the ones. And what ends up happening is in hedging against the ones, we get stuck in what I call this zone of comfortable complacency, this zone between four and six, where we're just kind of range bound in the kind of like average day, five, five, five. And I realized I didn't get there in spite of my ones because of avoiding all of the ones. I actually got there because of the ones, because of allowing the possibility that there is going to be some challenge. There is going to be some discomfort along the way. And so if you're kind of stuck in that range bound, that zone of comfortable complacency between four and six, it might be because you're not actually allowing yourself a little bit of that downside, a little bit of that discomfort, a little bit of that pain, a little bit of that struggle. But that pain, that struggle, that discomfort is actually what opens up the doorways to that higher highs, to those sevens, eights, nines, and tens. And the 12-hour walk is just a metaphor for that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. For anyone who is in the ones now, which is 
not fun <laughs> and not you know uncomfortable and it's um, sometimes depressing to actually use that as your fuel to to not stay there and I think that's how it kind of that's how I started dreaming because I was really lost and I had no idea what to do with my life and that kind of low point got me fueled up to write down my dreams and then eventually you know start working on them and eventually then start my global business and uh, and go through all that and you know it was the ones that actually got me to do that not not a 10. Oh, right. And I, and I say that, you know, it's like I wouldn't wish my burn accident on my worst enemy. That said, I learned a lot from it. And I write in the book, one of the lessons I say, embrace the ones. Not to say like in some masochistic way, go put yourself through all this pain and discomfort. But when those do, like life is hard. I don't care who you are, rich, poor, young, old, like you are going to experience some ones in life. That's part of the human experience. And you can frame that around just a deep resistance that like, oh my God, I don't want to feel this way. It sounds like, you know, for your, I didn't want to be in the hospital in Thailand. You didn't want to feel lost in your life, moving to the other side of the world. I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? But that stepping outside of that comfort, feeling a bit of that discomfort, that actually opens the doorways to the 10. Those are catalysts for change, right? And so the 12 hour walk in itself is the same thing. You walk out your front door, you're alone in your thoughts and stillness and silence for a couple of hours. Like that could be pretty uncomfortable because you're not used to spending that time. Like your friend said, or your feet get tired, your body gets sore. Like, yeah, that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but that's going to imprint, right? Like that's actually, imagine how many days that go by in our life, these five days, this zone of comfortable complacency days. Like what'd you do last Tuesday? What'd you do a month ago? What, you know, how many days in the last year can you even remember, let alone were they impactful? A 12-hour walk is an invitation. I guarantee you, you do this 12-hour walk. I ask you about it a year from now. I ask you about it five years from now. You are going to remember it. You are going to have learned something. You are giving yourself the opportunity, yes, by seeking a little bit of discomfort, but to actually have that pendulum swing way back close to the peak arc of the 7, 8, 9, or 10. Every single person I know that gets back to that front door is lit up, is, is creatively lit up in a different way, feeling deeper fulfillment, feeling deeper clarity in mind, body, and spirit than they have felt in a very long time. And I would say that is worth a little bit of discomfort to get there. Mm, love it, love it, love it. I am very excited to to go for the walk. But before we're finishing up, I just want to ask a couple of questions. Do you have a morning ritual? Yeah, so I think mornings, uh, as has been said by many people, are super important because we really control our mornings. You know, for me, I try to not look at my phone as the very first thing, uh, even though it's easy to fall into that habit pattern. We all know that feeling. And I like to move my body uh, a little bit um, every single morning, kind of a, some sort of exercise routine and, and put some healthy uh, food in my body. So it's simple, you know, just some quiet time. It's interesting. People ask me about what to do after the 12 hour walk. And in the emails and the follow-up and things, there's more There's more to it. Like you said, everyone can sign up for free on the website, 12hourwalk.com. But one thing that I love to invite people to do, and it's a great way to incorporate into a morning routine, is a 12-minute walk. Now, it might sound kind of silly. You're like, what? We just talked about a 12-hour walk. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes we definitely need the full reset. We need to go all in. And that's the first step. The first step is to go all in and to have this immersive, exploratory experience in your own mind, body, and soul. But afterwards, how do you integrate that? You can't go on a 12-hour walk every single day, right? But can you walk out your front door in the stillness and silence, no music, no podcast, whatever, for 12 minutes? 
that will bring you right back to that headspace because you've gotten there in such a deep way. It might not be as deep every single day. This is held true for me from meditation practices and things that I've done. Of Sometimes I like to go deeply into the extreme. I can't live in the extremeness of expedition life, right? Or deep meditation retreat or something like that. But how do I adapt that into my day-to-day life? And so that short amount of time, um, I think, can be integrated really well after you take the very deep walk or the deep cut uh, of the 12-hour walk that can you open you up. Mm, I love that. Um, really good little tip for anyone who then wants to continue. I actually um, often tell my friend that I'm going, I walk every single morning. Um, currently I'm I'm running, but I always walk after. But I call it my one million dollar walks and they laugh, but um, it's actually where I get all my ideas. Um, I don't get my ideas sitting in front of a computer or in a session where it's all forced. All my ideas comes from my walks and sometimes it takes weeks between them, but I always get some incredible ideas when I'm walking and I always take notes. So I know we're not allowed to have uh, our phones, um, but are we allowed to take pen and paper being a bit of a stationary freak that I am? (laughs) Yes, yes. It's a question that I get very often and it's a great question. It's a super important question. It's about journaling, you know, really it's about how to record some of these thoughts that come up throughout the 12 hour walk. And where I land on that is I, I want you to record those thoughts. You know, like I said, take as many breaks as you want, sit down, rest, reflect. There's a little bit of common sense that goes to it, which is there's supposed to be some movement and some walking and some free form thinking. And so if it ends up as a 12 day of just ju- 12 hours of just journaling, it probably may be a little bit different than a 12 hour walk. But you also we know this, you know, in an hour two or hour three, you have this creative burst and you're kind of like, or something, you know, oh, I want to make sure when I get home, I tell this person that I love them or whatever, you know, whatever epiphany you have, you don't want to lose that. Right. You don't want it to like, oh, that was an ephemeral thought that I what was I thinking about? And so I do encourage people to either take, you know, a little pen and paper with them to record some thoughts. I have taken it as far as to say just because I do prompt people to take a video of themselves beforehand to set an intention and a video of themselves at the end to set an intention, because we do live in a digital world. The phone is on airplane mode. You're not texting people. You're not on social media, whatever. There are even some people who say, but I'd love to be able to record the thoughts in the middle on my camera, on my phone or something like that. And and my answer is this, go for it. If that feels what's right to you, if that's your journaling methodology as a video recording, there's a chapter in this book, you know this from reading it already, about intuition. And you know intuitively if you've got your phone out to distract you around a million things or if you're actually like, hey, I'm capturing an important moment that I want to be able to look back on later and I'm going to take a two-minute video of myself to record this thought, I am all for that. I'm very supportive of that. So whether pen and paper or a quick video note or a voice note to yourself or something that so that you can look back on this because I want you to look back a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, a lot of people do the walk and they say, oh my God, I'm going to do that once per year or I'm going to do that once per quarter. So it becomes part of their routine. But I also want you to be able to look back on the experience you had in that moment because sometimes there's a little bit of time decay on that that inspiration or that creative burst. And you want to be able to look back and go, oh, right, let me, that brings you right back into it. So yes, I encourage some recording uh, of your dialogue in your own mind, not to the point of distracting yourself from the walk, but enough to kind of capture a few little tidbits or the essence of it. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. That was something that I had on my mind as well. So that's really great. Thank you. Um, One thing that I did many, many years ago um, was I saw a speaker and he shared that he uh, was 
going away on a weekend alone with no phone, just pen and a journal and nothing else in, in terms of no no phone, no technology, no no books. Being an avid reader, I was like, I don't know if I can go away without reading um, or listening to a great podcast. But I did do that. And the first 24 hours all, and because I traveled so much at the time and I had young kids, I actually didn't want to go away. I, I kind of just wanted to be home. But I was a bit lost with my creativity and I didn't really have the ideas and their thoughts that I wanted to have um, in my business. So I went away for two days and the first 24 hours, all I could think about was to go home and be with my kids and um, and just be at home. But then after 24 hours, it all, you know, I just all started to feel more comfortable. And then eventually I came up and that's how I actually wrote my book, which is Your Dream Life Starts Here, because I had that space to actually think and um and I'm, i can just imagine this will be a very similar experience you know everyone's experience is different but one of that is a common experience from the context of people say oh the first few hours of my walk i was like doing to-do lists and oh i gotta do this i gotta do that you know whatever like the stuff that's on the surface and i, I have the same thing i call it the cobwebs right just like the surface level stuff that you're like oh yeah my kids my family you know whatever that is that's like important stuff it's not like to say not to belittle it but it takes a moment for your brain to cycle through your mind to cycle through all of that and then like calm down into the essence of like your, your point of that creativity or the creative burst you have from being alone. It's so powerful, but that's why we so rarely get there. And that's why the 12 hour walk is such a powerful methodology because in our modern society, we so rarely allow ourselves to get there because we pick up our phone, we distract ourselves. A friend comes in the room, a family member comes in the room and we're off. Our brain is off on the next thing. And that's what I discovered when walking across Antarctica. I had no choice. I was alone for 54 days. And I ended up thinking at first, I was like, wow, this is going to be really difficult. And then what ended up happening is, of course, it was difficult. But also all of these creative pathways, fulfilled pathways opened up in my mind because I had nothing distracting me. And so the allowing yourself to get through those first few hours or in your case, in this, you know, silence and stillness for your own mind to get through those first little moments where it's tough and you're doing all these things and goes, oh, and your brain and body finally relaxes into it. That's where the essence is. And that's why when people say, but maybe I'll start with a one hour walk or maybe it's like, I'm not going to tell you not to walk, walk as much as you want to. But the exercise of the 12 hour walk is a commitment to all 12 hours, taking the breaks, but all 12 hours of the clock running, because you need that time to let your body and mind slow down a little bit and ease into the stillness and creativity and power that falls within all of us. Mm. On top of that, you get the fresh air and the movement. And it's just, yeah, it's a beautiful combination. I just can't wait to do it. Before we finish up, I just want to ask, have you got a um, favorite book apart from your own books? Of course, of course, yes. I'm an, I'm an avid reader. One of my favorites that comes to mind is Paulo Coelho's The Alchemist. That's been a, a guiding light in my life um, in many different chapters of my life. I've read that book. Um, so well, if I got to pick one favorite, I'm going to pick that. Yeah, such a great book and a book that you can read, I think, a million times and get something different from it. So love that. Before we end up, I want to ask you a question Knowing what you know now, what kind of advice would you give yourself, say, you know, um, your teenage self or, or, you know, 16, 17 or 18 or whatever, whatever age comes to mind? What kind of advice knowing what you know now? You're doing great. Keep trusting your intuition. Keep trusting your gut. Live for your own 
life, your own Everest. Don't worry about what everyone else's dreams or hopes for you are. Stay true to yourself. Love that. Love that. What a beautiful way of ending this incredible conversation. Thank you so very much for sharing your wisdom, for being such a role model in terms of what's possible in life. So thank you for all of that. And I'm excited to hopefully contribute a few people to your big Everest now, which is to inspire 10 million people to do the work. And I have no doubt that you probably will tenfold that because I think this is going to be so powerful. So thank you so much. Thank you. Well, uh, thanks for joining on September 10th and 12-hour walk uh, day. And anyone uh, want to join us, I'm so great to have you at 12hourwalk.com and uh, join us. We'll be walking, Christina and I and lots of others, on September 10th if you want to join us that day or another day. And so excited that your book club will also be uh, enjoying this read as well. Mm, thank you. Yes. And um, for anyone listening, I will link everything in the show notes, of course. And for your information, Colin, we'll also put that into our database people can hear about it as well. So I'm hoping that we will have some people from all over the world to to join you. So thank you. Oh, wow. So inspiring. I hope you are as excited about the 12-hour walk as I am. I will be doing it on the September 10th and I just can't wait. I will link to the 12-hour walk in the show notes. And if you are doing it, please let me know in the Facebook group, so the Dream Live podcast Facebook group. I would love to know if you are doing it and if you sign up, you can do this walk at any time. But if you are doing it on the 10th of September, it would be great to know. And regardless when you do it, let me know and I will support you. As you know, I love my walks so much. And if you haven't listened to my solo episode last week, which was all about walking and a walk that I call my million dollar walks. So listen to that one. And if you are a walker and love journaling, you might want to check out my uh, walking notes journal, which I love as well. It's just available at thedreamlifestore.com. And I will also link to that in the show notes. I can't wait to hear if you're doing it. Let me know. And I will be back next week. I'll see you then.